HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash line. Welcome to another special episode of The Line, focusing on the COVID crisis affecting the hospitality industry. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. If you've been listening to the last few episodes, you may have noticed they focused on partners operating restaurant groups. As someone who currently runs a food business with my brother, I'm fascinated by the dynamics of running a restaurant business with a day-to-day partner. In the past two episodes are my conversations with Susan Finneger and Mary Sue Milliken based in Los Angeles, and then James Wayman and Dan Miser in Connecticut. Both episodes showcase thoughtful operators contemplating difficult questions and trying to forge ahead. For anyone in the industry trying to figure out how to pivot and planning to reopen, both episodes are packed with great ideas and insights. I suggest you go back and take a listen when you've got time. On today's episode, a continuation of this series with brothers and partners Benjamin and Max Goldberg, the co-owners of Strategic Hospitality in Nashville. Together, they operate and run properties all over Nashville, including the Catbird Seat, Pinewood Social, Downtown Sporting Club, The Party Line, and many more. In 2003, at just 23 years old, Benjamin opened his first project, Bar 23. In 2007, his brother Max joined up with him, and the group has been consistently growing ever since. Strategic Hospitality recently announced a partnership with Airport Restaurant Concepts, in which the company will have a 5,000-square-foot presence within the massive overhaul to Nashville's International Airport. Strategic Hospitality has grown to a nationally recognized... Strategic Hospitality... Strategic Hospitality has grown into a nationally recognized hospitality group, and pre-COVID, the brothers had nearly 500 people working within the group. In addition to their extensive civic involvement and many business accolades, the Goldberg brothers have been nominated for the James Beard Foundation Awards for Outstanding Restaurateur five times over the last six years. Now on to the conversation. We own and operate seven restaurants in Nashville, um, and we have essentially closed all but two of them. Um, One of our restaurants is is called Pinewood Social, and... um, we are doing a little bit of takeout, a little bit of delivery. Um, but really what we're trying to do there is we still provide family meal for our staff. So anyone that worked with us when we were forced to close can uh, swing by and pick up at least one meal a day. Um, so that was really important to Max and I. So we're, we're functioning at Pinewood in essence um, to, to try and feed the staff, but also um, we're doing a little bit of to-go and delivery out there. And then the other thing that we have is We have uh, partnered with Julia Sullivan, who is one of our chefs um, at Henrietta Red. She's a partner in the restaurant as well as the chef. Um, And she has a catering company. um, And now she is basically doing um, full-blown meals uh, that are getting delivered to people's houses on a three-day or five-day-a-week basis. Um, And people are seeming to love it. So we're going to keep moving on that. For Benjamin and I, the, the focus has really been trying to uh, check on the businesses daily and by, by having operations continue out of Pinewood to help feed our staff uh, to, to continue on with some delivery components and some meal delivery services, which people certainly need. 
as well as to see the excitement and, and creativity that Julie has been able to pivot with the party line has been pretty tremendous. And Nashville is just one of the most supportive cities in the world. And, and one of the things that's been fun for us is some of our friends have reached out uh, to actually try to, to make some contributions that we have the ability to deliver to some of the hospitals and first responders. And uh, our mom actually got uh, hit pretty hard with uh, the virus and, and went to Vanderbilt, which is a hospital here, and had a, uh, a tricky situation there, but luckily came out and did uh, did really well in her recovery and continues to recover. And through some contributions from the community, as, as well as some efforts from Benjamin and I, we we're actually able to deliver a, uh, a series of of meals to the the COVID units and the other folks at Vanderbilt. And so as we're as we're figuring out how we can uh, relaunch our businesses and get as many people back to work and get back to to doing what we love in the hospitality space, we've continued to try to be good stewards of the community whenever there's an opportunity to do so. That's amazing. That's great. And uh, I know that you said that you're doing family meals. So across your your locations, how many people were employed by uh, your strategic hospitality group when you were at full tilt uh, about a, you know, a, two months ago when you were fully open, how many people did you have on staff? Um, we had just shy of 500. So um, it ebbed and flowed probably around 425 to 450 people in total. Um, and, you know, I think that providing a staff meal and, and trying to do things as best we possibly could um, was, was really important to us. And so I think that giving us the opportunity to cook food and, and seeing some faces every single day has uh, has been a bright spot for sure. In the first couple days when people were planning on either closing or pivoting, there was a lot of chaos about how business owners of any size were going to take care of their staff and take care of their businesses. So can you guys talk about what it was like to to navigate those first couple days? And if there are people within your organization that you were relying on, if you can talk about who were the, the folks that were helping you make those decisions, whether it was uh, bookkeepers, general managers, accounting, investors, uh, can you just kind of speak to what that that organization looked like in those couple days when things were, were really crazy? Yeah, Benjamin and I, uh, really one of the things that we love most about our industry is, is the people that we get to work with on a daily basis. And one of the reasons that I personally wanted to get into uh, the hospitality space was job creation and, and specifically in a city that we grew up in here in Nashville. And so the first few days when we did have to make the tough decision um, to, to pivot our, com- our company and, and recognize um, what was happening in the world was one of the worst days, weeks, still is, uh, of my career. And uh, Benjamin and I made the decision that we wanted to make sure that we communicated with the staff in the best way we possibly could. And, and so between Benjamin, myself, and our management team, um, we did try to contact every single employee that we had to uh, delay employment with. And our goal is, again, to get them back to work as quickly as we can. But we did make a phone call to every single person. And so, you know, if I'm being honest, the first... <laughs> the first week of that, you know, I found myself crying myself to sleep every night because one of the biggest motivators for us of, of why we do what we do is job creation. And in a pretty clean sweep, uh, Benjamin founded our company 17 years ago and, and we partnered up uh, 14 years ago in one clean sweep. Um, everything changed. And, and one of the things we love to do most uh, and, and get to work with people was, was taken away from us. And in terms of the team, we really went back to our core team of folks um, to try to get it down to as small of a team for a few different reasons. One, just because a smaller team, you can you can move that much faster. And we're fortunate that a lot of our key folks that are staying on to work with us to, to navigate these waters have worked with us for seven, eight, 10, 15 years. Um, and so they, I think, know the way that Benjamin and I want to operate. They see it through the same lens that we do. They share a similar moral compass. And so with this kind of key group of folks, we're able to really try um, with a heavy heart, uh, obviously, but but navigate these waters the best way we possibly can with a core focus of taking care of our staff. And whether it's the staff meal or the grocery packages we tried to put together early days or an employee fund that we raised to try to deploy uh, capital to folks as well, um, we've really just been trying to navigate those waters with our core team. And... Um, 
it's general managers of businesses, it's beverage director, it's uh, some of our project coordinators, uh, some of our operations team, some of our back of house staff. It's, it's a core group of people. And we've just realized we have to do a lot more with less right now. And it's been incredible for Benjamin and I to see some of these core folks really step up and allow us to navigate these waters. I think that the, the toughest part of this whole thing is, is the ramifications that it has on the staff as a whole. And um, the weirdest part about this thing is it's not like our intentions are to close the restaurants forever. Our intentions are to get the restaurants back open as soon as it's safe to do so. And so there really is this very difficult situation that we're trying to navigate of, of how are we able to responsibly close, in essence, the restaurants for however long we have to, but at the same time have the people in place allow us to build back the restaurants as soon as we possibly can so that ultimately we can bring back as many people to come back and work with us as we possibly can. And so it ends up really being um, a, just a, a difficult daily conversation of of trying to handle it in the best way that we possibly can. And it comes down to being really as honest as we can um, with everybody, with the information that we have. Um, it, it oftentimes entails trying to communicate in ways that may make us uncomfortable, but ultimately, um, we feel the right thing to do. And Max alluded to it. Like we really wanted to call everybody and let them know what was going on. We didn't want to send them a text message or, um, or send something via a scheduling app. We really wanted the opportunity to as many people that we could talk to and explain to them that this is hopefully a short amount of time. And we really look forward to, to getting back at it so we can work together again. Um, and so, I think it's just a really difficult time period for the industry as a whole because of how many unknowns there are and how long it can go on. Obviously, you weren't able to keep the, va the vast majority of the people that you had. You had to furlough them or, or lay them off, and you opted to have those conversations over the phone. What was general feedback like? Were people... Um, you know, were they optimistic? Were they very confused? Were you fielding a lot of questions about, about unemployment? I, I imagine it was maybe all over the place, but since you couldn't keep everyone on, how did you, how did you make people feel like they were being taken care of in that moment when maybe you didn't even know how you would proceed in the next couple hours? Before, before we started to make those phone calls, um, we were pretty terrified and um, just really felt so personally horrible about the situation because we truly love the people that we get to work with on a daily basis. And what we found is that our incredible staff and a culture that we worked really hard for understood the situation, I think appreciated the personal touch. Um, we were able to answer any questions or concerns that they had at that moment we set up a pretty good communication tool to continue to communicate with them, to let them know what the staff meal would be for the day, uh, to make sure that they knew of things that were happening. And I think that in, in times of crisis, the best thing we can do is, is over communicate and make sure that people still feel in touch. And the response was overwhelmingly uh, positive for us in a really bad situation. Um, and I think that Benjamin and I, if nothing else, were inspired uh, as, as folks in the hospitality space to continue to push on um, the things that, that we've tried to create in our culture. And I think it came out in, in what was one of our worst times that, that we've ever had to face in our career. Since the, the days are not normal anymore, I'm wondering if each of you have tried to maintain a pretty traditional work day. Uh, even if you're staying at home and you're not necessarily going and visiting the restaurants every day, are you trying to keep consistent uh, meetings and communications at the same time? Or has everything kind of been uh, exploded and, and nothing is really the same day in, day out right now? You know, I think that um, a little bit of both. I think I personally have tried to keep a schedule um, that 
makes sense for the moment in time that we are. I mean, um, obviously there, there are meetings that we used to have that are just no longer relevant, but I definitely make sure that, um, that we touch base with as many people as we can. Um, I'll, I'll also tell you, I've got two little kids. I've got a kindergartner and a preschooler and, um, you know, homeschooling a kindergartner, um, is, is, uh, a comedy show. And my wife has been, uh, truly amazing at really the heavy lift of having to do the homeschooling with the kids and all of that stuff, because she understands how crazy the restaurant world is right now and the heavy lift that we have going on. It's not like we're working any less than we ever have. In fact, I would argue that I'm probably working more hours a day right now than I ever have, um, trying to figure out how we can come out of this in the best possible way for everybody. Um, and so I think that I, I know I'm maintaining a, a schedule because I'm constantly, um, you know, doing work and I'm trying to maintain as much of a schedule um, as we possibly can, knowing that touching base with the staff and communicating with the managers and, and trying to make them aware of what we're, um, what we're dealing with right now, um, only good comes from that. And, you know, being open and available is part of the transparency process. So I know Max and I have really tried to, to do those things. And we tried to have it where uh, we, we set early on a, a daily huddle, if you will, with our core team. And we try to make sure that we're connecting for a couple hours a day with those folks to make sure that they have support in the initiatives they're working on. And, and we've had to rely on technology to help help do that with us. But uh, we have tried to maintain some normalcy in terms of, of working with the teams and, and having different project initiatives and making sure that everyone has the support and resources that they need, um, you know, in terms of the normal day to day. I think that to Benjamin's point, we we love what we do and we work a lot of hours uh, in our industry as is. But with this piece, I find myself working at a lot more odd hours than I did before, where, you know, a 3 a.m. email, uh, 6 a.m. email, 10 a.m. email, it's it's a little bit of blur of, uh, of the hours that we're working and what day it is, um, just because we're pushing so hard to make sure that we're able to get uh, back to normalcy and get people back to work. Um, you know, I, I think that for for my situation, I've got two French bulldogs and a cat, so no kids that I have to teach. But those French bulldogs are are a handful of themselves. But I really tried to make sure that during this time, taking care of of mental health and physical health uh, is a priority. Um, tried to make sure that I'm I'm getting exercise every day and eating well and sleeping as many hours as I possibly can, even though it's not as many. Um, but really trying to make sure that it's okay to know that right now things aren't okay but doing everything you can and, and putting everything, every single thing in place that you can uh, to feel good uh, about your work day and about your mental and physical health is something that we've tried to prioritize. Um, and because we have the benefit of being brothers and business partners, we've tried to have that family connection where we will social distance uh, in a smart way. And, you know, the other night, Benjamin and his kids came over s'mores by the fire and we stayed far enough apart, but being able to, to see my brother, uh, who's my best friend, brother, and business partner, and his children and wife uh, over here with my better half and, and our family here uh, is something that, that we're lucky enough to be able to do here in Nashville. But having some of those, those normal moments, I think, are important at a time like this if you can have them. My brother, who is my business partner, and I, we've had countless conversations about what we may do when we reopen. And actually, we kind of, we abandoned that that line of conversation a little bit because it was so much uncertainty and things were changing so dramatically uh, that we felt like we were just kind of uh, throwing ideas out into the air that we weren't sure if we'd be able to to implement them. So we kind of pressed pause on that conversation. We only have really one brick and mortar location. You have several. So I'm hoping that you guys can speak a little bit about how you're formulating these conversations and plans about reopening are you are you doing it in very concrete ways are you putting pen to paper are you speaking about things only in the vaguest top line sense of the term so um, what are those plans if they exist and how are you organizing your thoughts on them yeah uh, those are great questions I think that um all of the above in a lot of ways. I think that Max and I, um, the first couple of weeks of this, 
um, we're all about sort of wrapping our head around it, trying to do the right thing by everyone involved, um, winding down the restaurants that were just closing completely. Um, and um, now we're in the phase of, okay, we know we want to open the restaurants back up. How do we open the restaurants back up and be as safe of a restaurant as possible? And some of that is really these moonshot ideas that how can we become the safest restaurants? Well, you throw these things at the wall and you just try and chase them down. But then it comes into really, really concrete things, right? Like how, what are our reactions going to be if a staff member becomes sick? Um, how are we going to ensure that not only are the guests healthy, but the staff is healthy? How do we make sure that, that we treat them um, with respect and that they know that health is, is one of the, the things that um, has always been talked about, but nowhere near the level that it is right now in terms of the restaurant business. Um, and so I think that we spend a lot of time doing both. We theorize a lot about what the possibilities are. But at the end of the day, we really need to make sure we're putting at least pen to paper and writing down a best practice process for us. And that has taken on um, a lot of different folds. One is just a step-by-step, -step, how do we screen people before they come in the restaurant to ensure that everyone is safe? And then also how we ensure that the delivery drivers are safe, that you know, all of our vendors are safe. How, what do we do in these scenarios? And we're writing step-by-step -step procedures for that. Um, and that's a lot of work. You know, I think we had some of them, but nowhere near the totality of what is now needed. Um, and so we spend a lot of time really talking through the ramifications um, of, of reopening and what that means. And if we're allowed to reopen and when we're allowed to reopen, what does that mean for our timing of when we're going to reopen? Um, I don't believe that we'll have one of the first restaurants open in the city of Nashville on the day that we're allowed to open. I think that we're going to probably have to take a little bit more time uh, to get our legs under us to ensure that, that we're not racing to something and missing a step. We really, really find safety to be um, the absolute priority in this process for all parties involved. And so we spend, we do, we spend considerable hours every day talking about screenings, cleaning processes, cleaning practices, what vendors are we going to use, ensuring the vendors are compliant, ensuring the staff has the right masks and the gloves. We have ample hand washing stations, even more than has ever been required. Um, how we make sure we're getting the products that are really hard to get, right? Like thermometers and hand sanitizer and, and uh, sanitizer wipes, like that stuff takes a while right now to get and track down. And so I think we we do um, both of those things. We are theorizing um, ad nauseum and we are putting pen to paper as best we possibly can to start writing down firm practices and policies that we can put in place so that we know that when we are allowed to open, we are doing so not only with a restaurant in mind, but with everybody's safety in mind as well, because that is ultimately the priority in this. And the reality is the, the goalposts on this thing keep moving. And if we go back and look at the evolution of, of how this has transpired essentially since maybe February when we started to really track this, uh, it's shifted. And I think our mentality on it has shifted as well as, as the reality of our situation. And we're reading absolutely everything we can. We are listening to every single podcast webinar uh, that we possibly can. We've been speaking with folks in our peer group, uh, medical professionals, uh, our, our local government officials, our insurance providers, our banking relationships. Uh, we've really tried to, at every single angle, um, study, uh, make determinations, and try to be pretty thoughtful about it, uh, and knowing that a lot of our work just won't be relevant because it, the, this thing can shift hour to hour. But by putting in that work, I think we have a, a, a decent understanding of what the lift will be to get reopened, um, knowing that I agree with exactly what Benjamin just said, that the number one priority for us uh, has been and will continue to be safety of our, our staff and safety of the guest. And I know that we will, as a, a restaurant industry, I, I 
fingers crossed, knocking on wood, will survive this and get through it and evolve and pivot, uh, despite the fact that it is absolutely uh, crazy and unprecedented times. Um, but our goal is to be able to reopen to the city that's been so good to us our entire career and have them come in and enjoy our hospitality in the absolute safest environment that they possibly can. But it's a tremendous amount of discussion. It's a tremendous amount of planning. Uh, it's a lot of work that goes nowhere. Uh, but we have a responsibility as as owners in this company to make sure that we are being as thoughtful as we possibly can, making sure that we can get our staff back to work in a safe environment uh, with guests that can come in and feel good about their experience, not only from what we absolutely love to do in, in hospitality and food and drink and environment, but also know that, that they can be safe when they come in and eat. Um, and I think that it's always been top of mind for us, but then seeing our mother, who Benjamin and I are very close with, go through this firsthand, uh, we have an understanding of this maybe a little bit deeper than others. And so making sure that that safety component, the day that we feel it's okay to reopen, stays top of mind for us uh, the day we open, and, and that will be a core focus for us moving forward. We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us here on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or a small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash line. Welcome back to The Line on Heritage Radio Network. Let's jump back into the conversation with the partners of Strategic Hospitality Group in Nashville. Something that the restaurant industry has been struggling with for many years, even pre-COVID, was that... uh, it really is nearly impossible in most markets, in almost ev- any restaurant, to pay uh, everyone what they should be making. And it is very difficult to cover your employees fully for healthcare. Uh, it's something that my brother and I have been unable to do at our restaurant, which uh, makes us feel terrible. And it is one of the goals that we've always set. Uh, for ourselves to be consider ourselves successful. Um, I'm curious in your businesses, um, as you've now had time to kind of uh, look towards the future and reopening, have you thought a lot about not only what you may be able to pay people and what you may be able to offer them in terms of healthcare, but also what the expectations might be of your customers and how there may be some sort of education process for them um, in terms of letting them know that uh, you may be altering your prices to deal with a new world in which um, healthcare and the safety of your employees and paying them properly may look different than what it looked like um, before COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, one of the things that we've spent a lot of time talking about is COVID-19 is, it has basically reset the restaurant business completely. Um, and one of the things that Max and I talk about a lot is there's a complete reset. So what are the things that we really want to focus on that are priorities? What can we do? How can we do this? What actually allows it, um, allows us to allow us to make us, um, have the best information possible to make the best decisions possible. And we have, we've, we've explored all sorts of scenarios 
that um, we think um, will give us the best chance of success um, to try and make it a more equitable situation for all of the employees, front of house and back of house. And you're right, the, the industry as a whole um, has always struggled with that. And I think now that there's this whole reset, Max and I have spent a lot of time talking about what can the future hold and how can we possibly achieve that? And one of the things that's so interesting is no matter how many safety procedures and protocols we put in place, really what everyone is, is um, reliant upon is everyone being honest if they're showing any symptoms. And those symptoms are not outwardly obvious in a lot of ways. And so we need to make sure that we have systems and processes in place where staff feels comfortable coming and saying, hey, I, I don't think I should work today because I have X, Y, or Z. And in the past restaurant business, they're, they're disincentivized to call out of a shift because they're sick. Max and I have to work on finding answers to make sure that they're incentivized to be overly honest. And that is without a doubt something we're spending a lot of time talking about um, and trying to evaluate before we get uh, back open. Right now to reset a lot of practices, to do things um, that maybe we weren't able to do before and improve upon uh, systems and practices and best behaviors. And I do think that training and coaching uh, the guests that come in on, on the why of it is something that we have a responsibility to do, but it's something that at very top of mind we're, we're thinking about. And as horrific as, as September 11th was, you know, there was a fear that we weren't going to travel again and that the travel industry would be destroyed. And certainly it took a massive hit and it was one of the absolute worst times um, in my life as well. But knowing that people will travel again, I, I think that hopefully will be similar in our industry that people will want that suspension of disbelief to go out and enjoy, to have uh, that incredible meal, that incredible moment to come back into the things that we love to do the most uh, in, in hospitality. But there are certain things that may become the new norms. And Benjamin alluded to it earlier about the safety component. But I also think that more so than ever, there may be a reliance on some technology components that we hadn't thought of before. Uh, changing some of our practices to make sure that staff and guests alike uh, have safety protocols that may become the new norm. And, and those are things that we're thinking about and researching at this point on a daily basis. Are you guys entertaining the ideas of uh, temping customers and employees when they when you reopen? Yes, for sure. I think that that is part of the um, processes that we're trying to nail down. And I think that um, that is definitely on the table for us. And it's it would not just be for the employees. I think our mentality is it should be for anyone in the building. Um, and so that would include vendors and guests as well as employees. I, one of my concerns is, you know, a lot of um, the stuff that I've read is geared on how to keep guests safe, but there are other people in the building besides just guests. And our job is to ensure that everybody is safe. And so if we have to put some stricter practices in for guests um, to ensure our staff is safe, we are fully uh, on board and, and um, wanting to do that because um, that is the right thing to do. Our company mission statement is to positively exceed expectations in everything we do. And that applies to staff, to guests, to the community, to vendors, to whomever. And not only are we looking at, at temping guests for their benefit, but as well as the staff, we're also looking at different vendor protocols. Uh, anyone who comes into the building, we want to exceed their expectation with, with hospitality and what we love to do. At the same time, there are new practices that will take place where every single person that comes in uh, will have an obligation from us to make sure that, that they are practicing those, those safety protocols. And we've actually proactively reached out to vendors to understand what they're doing. Uh, to try to make sure that, that we form that when we do, we do reopen, our practices are dialed in and that we can ensure safety for anyone who comes into the building and interacts with staff, guests, uh, bowling tech, axe coach, whatever it is, we want to make sure that everyone is completely safe uh, in what they're doing. Um, so it's, it's something that we're exploring and it's everything from temperature checks to thermal cameras to 
working with guests more to try to understand uh, other safety protocols. And it's something that we're, we're studying on a, on a daily basis through CDC guidelines, best practices that we're seeing in the industry, and truly just anything we can read, form, do, uh, we're working on. So that when we do reopen, uh, we, we really want to be industry leading in safety. One of the most challenging aspects, one of the million dollar questions upon reopening is that not only may there be restrictions in place about the number of uh, tables and, and seats that you can have in your establishment, right? You might have um, an inability to serve as many people as you did before, but also people may be reluctant to come anyways, right? The, your, your numbers might be down just based on folks deciding that they don't necessarily want to go out as often. So with going up against those two large issues and uh, the fact that you can't charge $50 for a martini and $80 for a steak, how, how can you overcome those two issues upon reopening and try to have a sustainable, productive, and profitable business when there's going to be so many things stacked against restaurant operators when we do, in fact, reopen? I think the reality is we, we have to do a lot more with less. Um, and, I, and I think that we have to be even more mindful of every single dollar being spent so that during this time, we're maximizing uh, as much profit as humanly possible while continuing to exceed the expectation of the guest and maintaining those safety protocols. Uh, as we've been modeling this thing out a hundred different ways, we've done different revenue numbers and try to figure out, okay, where's our sweet spot? Where is break even? Where's profitability? And, and what do we need to do towards that? And the reality is that we think it'll be a slow build where when we do reopen, it'll slowly build and we'll continue to see more and more people coming in. Uh, the company that we had when we closed down uh, will not be the same company that we have when we reopen. And we've tried to be incredibly mindful of that uh, as we gear back up because Benjamin and I are in this for the long haul. And, you know, we absolutely love what we do and, and we have for the past 14 years together and for Benjamin for the past 17 years. And, and we want to see that continue into the future. And so making those plans, modeling those things out and ensuring that we're being as thoughtful and prepared as we possibly can when we reopen uh, is something that we're spending a lot of our time on. But the reality is we know that it's going to take some time. It's going to take a little bit of a burn. It's going to take uh, a lot of work uh, to, to get it uh, back to where we were, uh, which we hope to get to. But when we do reopen, we understand that it'll be a slow build uh, with, with guests and with customer and with our staff to make sure that we can do the revenue that we need to um, while still maintaining quality of product, uh, safety practices, and, and the hospitality. You know, I think that what you said is not really a question. I think it's in our world more of a fact. I think that you are right. We're going to have reduced occupancy when we open. And from everything I've read, even if we're reduced to 50%, we'll still be lucky to have 50% of the tables filled because the guests probably won't um, be coming back the way that they, that they were. I think there's going to be, without a doubt, um, a change in, in, in that. And I think that's something that Max and I talk about all the time. And at the end of the day, I think that we don't know how this is going to play out. We don't, uh, you know, I, Max referenced that I opened my first bar when I was 23 years old with a really good friend of mine. Um, and I've been doing this for a long time. And to me, that's one of those things that, that, um, is sort of so sad for for me when I put my head on the pillow is, you know, even when we're given the green light to open, no one really knows what that means. And so all we can do is try and put our head down and do the best job we possibly can do that gives us the best chance to be successful. And that's really however you measure success, right? I mean, successful for us might, might be that we don't even want to do 50% of the occupancy. We just want to make sure that we can run a business that we feel really, really good about. And um, I think that that is the reality. And then I think from there, everything sort of moves forward. If, if we go into it knowing we want to run a business we're proud of, we want to run a business that's really, really safe, then you sort of back into everything else. And you say, okay, what can we do and how can we do it? And we hope it makes sense for the long run. But... I'm not sure anyone in the restaurant business knows what the long run is uh, now. 
uh, or in the future or even in the past. The business is tough and hard and difficult. And I think it's going to be tougher and harder and more difficult uh, moving forward. But at the end of it all, um, I really hope that um, that the folks that we have the opportunity to work with and the folks that we have the opportunity to um, feed um, know that, that the heart is in the right place and we really want to put our head down and, and get through this together, um, all of us. And that is, uh, that's really all we can say. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if anyone's even going to want to go to a restaurant in 60, 90 days. But what we do know is we want to be there ready uh, in hopes that they do. I want to ask about the PPP and the government stimulus packages that were made available and are now hopefully going to be replenished again until everyone is given the assistance that they need. But I'm curious from, from the perspective of strategic hospitality, was the PPP a good program? Did you attempt or were you able to access it? And uh, have you been able to implement it in any way if, if you were able to access any funds? Yeah, so the, the PPP, I think, um, has tempted a lot of, to do a lot of good. I think that um, we were lucky to obtain some funds for some of the restaurants. Um, and the issue that we've run into is there's not really a, a, a clear picture of what you're supposed to do with it. Um, we know that the intent is to bring people back, um, but ultimately, if there's not a restaurant by the time the PPP runs out, we don't want to have to lay everyone else. We don't have to lay everyone off again. That seems cruel. So um, it took us about a week to sort of put the plans in place. Um, and we're just now at the point where we feel like we can, um, we can use the money with um, in the right ways and use the money um, in the way that it was intended. And then hopefully be able to come out on the other side of this with, with the right folks in the right places. And we know that it's, it's an incredibly complex situation with a thousand different layers. Uh, and it's something that I'm sure we could study for decades and, and still not nail a plan, even if there was all that time. Um, but in terms of the PPP money, uh, it certainly is, is something we were fortunate um, to get for some of our businesses. And in terms of the long-term impact of it, Benjamin and I are using it for the right reasons, what it was intended for. And I know that's not the case for, for all businesses, but it's something that's incredibly top of mind for us. And I think that a lot of the success of the program will come down to what is forgiven and what's defined. And it's something that, that we're truly studying on a daily basis and having some of our accounting folks uh, as well try to research it. And there's still just not that clarity. Um, but I do think that uh, once that clarity is defined and we understand the forgiveness piece, um, that will be a massive deal for our industry. And, and hopefully it continues to move where it can become industry specific and they understand the challenges uh, in, in the restaurant space and the impact that it can have. Um, but we understand how complex it is and, and hopefully it, it plays out the way that it was intended and, and they recognize the challenges that come in with, uh, with the restaurant industry specifically. I want to ask if you think that in the future there are going to be segments of hospitality that just maybe don't work anymore. And by that, I mean, do you think that um, fast casual, upscale fine dining, uh, QSR, do you think that all of them are still going to exist and look pretty similar in about two years from now? Or do you think that uh, we're experiencing a, a seismic shift in the way that people uh, consume food and drink and that maybe certain things will not make it? I hope every aspect of our industry makes it, gets through this and survives. And I certainly hope it's not the case that anything gets eliminated. Uh, I think it would be ignorant on my part to say that things won't change and uh, things that seemed crazy six months ago will become the norm. Um, I, I think for, for me personally, and, and I think Benjamin would would echo this as well. We've never been a company uh, outside of some of our accounting practices that has relied on technology. And I do think that technology uh, will play a pretty important role in the future for all different businesses, whether that's touchless payment systems or uh, a more dedicated reservation system to help with uh, some of the spatial pieces. 
Um, I think that restaurant design and layout will be tweaked um, in terms of, of the thoughtfulness there. Uh, but I certainly don't, I wouldn't want for anyone to any, any aspect of, of what we do across the board uh, be impacted. I just think it's going to take a lot of tweaking and pivoting and a recognition of, of what the norm will be on the other side of this. Um, and I think that uh, we'll start to see that in, in new designs, layouts, and, and thoughtfulness and revenue numbers and spaces that, that people go into and, and why they design them the way that they do um, and, and what that means moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll i just um, sort of follow up on Max. I will tell you, I'm not sure I'm the most qualified person to say what will or won't make it. Um, you know, I'm not even sure that I can tell you that we're going to make it. Um, and so I think that um, there's no doubt in my mind that some things are going to change and shift um, and, and be very different. I'm not sure that that um, that I can tell you what it's going to do industry-wide. I can uh, sort of tell you um, what we're planning on and what our thoughts are for us internally. Um, but we definitely think that 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 the guest use of restaurants is going to change. Um, and I think the way that the staff treats and looks at the restaurants will change as well. Um, and I hope that the changes that we're able to make as a community and in the restaurant industry are always for the better. Um, and so I don't know what it does industry-wide. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not even sure we're going to make it through this um, on some respects, but I know that we're going to try and put our heads down to see it through. I want to close by asking you each uh, that hopefully to, to focus on something positive personally that has come out of all this, which is uh, if there's been an aspect of the business or a part of your personal life that maybe you you didn't have time to think about before and now perhaps you've had uh, moments at home or a change of perspective. So basically, Ben, if you could go first and tell me if there's something positive that you've learned about yourself or about the business um, that you didn't see before that that you now have seen because of what's happened. And then Max, if you could let me know afterwards. Um, yeah, I think that Something that I think we've seen um, before and being in Nashville is the restaurant community is so supportive of each other. And what I see so clearly now is the restaurant community is so supportive of each other to degrees that I never even thought possible. I mean, the number of people calling and texting and emailing just to check in and say, hey, how are you? What's going on? Hey, how can we help? What can we do? That is a really, really wonderful community to be a part of. And I am so proud uh, that I get to be a part of it. And that's from everyone. That's owner and operators, front of house, back of house. That's servers that we work with that email or call or text and say, hey, I'm donating this food to these people. If you have extra food, let us know. This community um, of of restaurant folks is truly special. And this has opened my eyes even wider than they were before. Um, and I'm, I'm just honored and proud to be a part of it. Um, from a personal level, I, you know, I think that um, the restaurant business is hard. You work crazy hours, long hours, long days, a lot of things going on. Um, on the times when I'm not sitting down worried about the restaurants, um, being able to spend time with the family and the kids at, at this point in life is something I'll never forget. And I would uh, I would agree with what Benjamin said about our industry and, and the responsiveness and, and care uh, has just been overwhelming and, and wonderful. Um, I'd also add that it's just kind of top of mind because it's an article I read recently, but. Uh, it was an opinion piece that Gene Sperling wrote in the New York Times about how Martin Luther King Jr. Predict, predicted this moment and how the coronavirus shows us clearer than ever before that all labor has dignity. And I think that during this process, uh, there's, all, there's hopefully a resetting of the opinion of America that, that the folks that are out there that are doing the essential work who maybe six weeks ago weren't viewed as highly as they should be, which is crazy, uh, they now understand uh, how important those people are. And not to get too political, but hopefully there is a resetting and a, and a new appreciation for uh, that labor force. Um, and, 
and it's something that I hope is top of mind for a lot of people. It's something certainly top of mind for me. Um, from a work perspective, you know, I think that uh, in times of crisis, you can either be pulled together uh, or pushed apart. And I've never felt closer and more connected with my brother and business partner. And that's an incredible gift. And so if nothing else, it just reaffirms the fact that 14 years ago, and when I moved back to Nashville to partner up with Benjamin from New York, uh, it's, it's been one of the absolute best decisions in my life. And um, having the opportunity in our company to, to work on a lot of the initiatives for that reset and use this time as destructive and horrific and personally taxing that it's been to use it as a reset and, and really rise to the occasion and try to come out on the other side of this stronger and better company uh, is a gift that hopefully will play out. And then on a personal note, uh, to kind of echo what Benjamin said, we, I've never had this much uh, time where I can be at home uh, around my better half and, and her work takes her all over the world and she usually travels uh, a couple days a week. And so the fact that she's been literally grounded uh, has been uh, an incredible gift for us just because we get all this time together. Um, and there is a bit of a, a reprioritization about taking care of yourself, and as I mentioned, a, from a physical and mental perspective. Um, and it's, it's a time that I will never forget, good, bad, or ugly, uh, but trying to find those moments where you can just appreciate that you do have this time uh, with the people that you love uh, is, is an incredibly positive thing. So as horrible as this has been, you know, I do think that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully it's not a train coming to hit us, but we will get through this. We will come out on the other side and being able to enjoy this time uh, in the moments that we can is, is personally really important. Benjamin and Max Goldberg of Strategic Hospitality, thank you both so much for speaking with me and sharing your insights about what is going on with your restaurant group and what's going on in Nashville and, of course, what's going on in the entire hospitality industry as a whole. Thanks again. Hey, thank you. The line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.